every time you do a trailer read, you have to be like, nope, this is how it's supposed to sound. This is what it is. If you don't like it, screw you, but this is what it is. <laughs> Getting feedback from someone, choosing not to take it personally, is actually very freeing. Mm -hmm. And I find for me that I do the worst when I'm trying to give somebody what they want. It's like the modern version of the, the two people inside of a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Times are changing, we want different voices, we want different races, we want more female voices. I think it's a beautiful thing and I'm actually just super excited to be part of the world of voiceover today. And there is something about the strength in numbers that has been really emboldening. We lie on the floor flopping around like a, like a fish for 45 minutes. We work in isolation booths. So if we, want, if we don't want to be isolated, we should leave those booths. Never think, uh, I hope he asks me to be, I hope he pitches me to whoever they really, like if you think that way, then they're mm -hmm. not really your friends or peers and you're just trying to use yeah. people. Yeah. She pilots my meat suit. I've only heard really bad things about Jamie. Right. Well, yeah, that know, makes sense. That makes sense. You gotta watch the bridge, though. <laughs> Instead of trying to figure out how to get into it, I just brought a bunch of people together that none of us knew the industry. Stop wiping expectations on any audition. It's never give up and be the most persistent person in the room. It's always those that are the last ones standing. You're going to get a lot more no's than you get yeses, and I, that's true for me today. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Now today, we are talking about motion capture, also performance capture and facial capture. And we are joined by Carlo Mestroni, who will explain all of the above, how it all works, what the differences are, uh, how you as a voice actor can get into this kind of stuff and the benefits and the drawbacks and what skills you need, all that kind of stuff. Now, Carlo is based in Canada, but he is, like I say, a voice actor himself and a performer. But primarily, I think these days he's a director, a voice and performance director. So he is extremely experienced. He's worked on a ton of video games for huge companies. We talk about all of that in the episode. So that's that's really exciting and we go super in depth so if you're interested in that kind of work we get really uh, into the nitty-gritty of uh, how all that stuff works now before we get to the interview I just want to let you know that for those of you who are interested in attending the vocation conference um, which is a conference that Karin Gilfrey and myself are organizing tickets are now on sale this is a conference that will be held in glittering New York City in September of this year, and it's devoted to the business aspects of voiceover. So nothing to do with performance. This is entirely how you operate as a voice actor. We're talking about all kinds of stuff, business and financing, working with agents, casting, recording, networking, websites, negotiation, um, the union and how to convert work all kinds of aspects of voiceover business etiquette and practice that will help you to become a successful voice actor. Like I say, tickets are now on sale, so if you want to find out more about that and if you want to book tickets, you can go to our website, vocationconference.com. You'll hear an ad about that in about 20 seconds, so uh, <laughs> if you didn't get that information, you'll hear it again soon. Okay, so like I say, we've got this fantastic interview with Carlo, and that will happen after these quick ads. So I'll see you in a bit. As a voice actor in 2019, you're more than just an actor. You are a business. The first ever conference for the business of voiceover is coming to New York City, September 13th through 15th. Amazing speakers, panels, and classes, all in the greatest city in the world. Vocation NYC. Ticket sales start April 1st. Be one of the first 100 to register and get a special early bird conference rate. For more information, visit vocationconference.com. Vocation NYC. Take your VO business to the next level. The National Zoo. Because sometimes you just need to stroke a llama. Instagram. Download it and start embarrassing your teenagers today. Resolve spot and stain. Because the dog's gonna drag his butt on the carpet. He just is. Engage the droid army with this Lego Star Wars Republic fighter tank. Hi, it's J. Michael Collins. And these are just a few examples of the first-class demos my team and I are producing. If you'd like to have something similar, visit jmcvoiceover.com and click on the Demo Production tab to find out more. Connect your studio to the world with IPDTL. IPDTL is a cost-effective alternative to ISDN without the need for hardware or line rental. Connect, 
Mix and record up to four locations at the same time, including Phone Patch, right from your computer. You don't need additional software as IPDTL runs in your browser, and you can even get your own ISDN number. Try a day pass for just $15, or subscribe monthly or yearly. So, for directed sessions, interviews, and of course, podcasts, choose IPDTL. Okay, so today I am joined by Carlo Mastroni, and we are going to be talking about motion and facial capture. We talked a little bit about it in the video games episode, but we're going to really dive in. So, Carlo, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Jimmy. Nice chatting with you. Yeah, well, we'll see. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So you're up in Montreal. That's correct. I'm up in Montreal. Lovely. where I I do my business. The frigid north. (laughs) The very frigid north right now. (laughs) <laughs> there are white walkers walking around here. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just you on a Friday night, right? <laughs> okay. So um, we recently worked on a project together and we will talk about that in a bit. But I want to start off by finding out about you and what you do and how you got into this world. So uh, why don't you give us your little bio right now? Sure. Um, I've been an actor in Montreal for almost 15 years now. I started actually late in life. I was 31 when I started. Um, I had been an actor as a kid um, and then switched out of it, went into healthcare. I actually am a biochemist as well. Oh. And, um, and then I just missed it. I missed acting too much. So I started auditioning again and made a go. And uh, it worked. So it's been, yeah, it's been 15 years in April that wow. uh, that I've been doing this and my focus when I came back was voice work and video games. Cool. So that's what I've been primarily working on. So what were your first projects when you got back into it? How did you get actually get into it? How I actually got into it, this is a story that I tell is uh, there's a voice director here who's from New Zealand and he and I um went out for the same role um of an Australian and uh <laughs> I beat him out for the role. <laughs> yeah. And I hadn't been going in for video game auditions until that point. And so he was curious as to who this Canadian was who had beat him out for an Australian accent. And so I went in and he put me through the paces the next time because my CV said that I could do certain accents. So he was like, okay, do that accent, do that accent, do that accent. Let's see, oh, go. And he put me through the paces and he was like, all right, well, good job. Cool. You're hired. Right. Yeah. So that was my first gig. I worked on the first, I think it was the DLC for Assassin's Creed was the first thing that I worked on, um, which was 2000 and uh, I think 2007 and uh, 2006, 2007, something like that. And uh, from then it's been pretty much steady video game work since. Nice. So you just casually dropped Assassin's Creed there, but what, <laughs> what other projects have you done that people have heard of? Well, up until the last Assassin's Creed, I had been on every Assassin's Creed until Odyssey. I hadn't, I didn't work on Odyssey, um, in some form or another, whether I was doing uh, motion capture, performance capture, voice work as an actor. And also now I, I direct voice as well. So for the last four or five years, I've been directing voice. So I've worked on all of those. I've worked on the, some of the Splinter Cell series. I've worked on both Deus Ex, Human Revolution and Mankind Divided, the Outlast games played I played the Outlast game was actually quite fun. I played a character um, who has another character on his shoulders, and I played both <laughs> of the characters. Oh wow! Yeah, so that was fun, and, um, and yeah, and some other. You know, I've worked on I think over 40, 40 video games now. That's cool. Yeah, um, and Montreal is kind of a bit, bit of a video game hub right now, right? Isn't it? It's kind of we really, are. Yeah, we're kind of. I think we're fifth in the world is where we stand as far as video game production. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot going on here. We've got Eidos here. We've got Ubisoft. Uh, Warner Brothers comes up to do some work here. Um, so yeah, a lot of companies are here. Yeah, and I've done stuff there too. And and sometimes yes, the you companies have. will come. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that shortly. <laughs> but they sometimes come down to the east coast of the US as well to to cast projects, which is cool. So that's we don't talk about doing a lot of video games on the east coast of the US, but uh, like Rockstar around this area, and mm-hmm. um, obviously the Ubisoft are up there, and the other companies in in Montreal. So you know, if if you're on the east coast of America, and I do have this conversation quite a lot. All is not lost if you want to work in the video game world. So, uh, well, I think because of the nature of the business now, you can be anywhere in the world yeah. and work in video games. 
it's uh, it's quite impressive. I mean, the casting is it's a broad net that's yeah. being done right now. So, I mean, the last game that I worked on, we cast uh, L.A., Toronto, Montreal, yeah. um, New York. Uh, you know, it's for for these parts that we're going to be shot in Montreal. So, yeah, it's it's wide open. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned accents. Is that like a thing? Is that an angle that you work because you're you're good at doing accents, or was that just the thing that got your you know your foot in the door? Well, they got my foot in the door for sure. And then afterwards, it's great if you can, because a lot of the work initially anyway was a lot of accent work. Um, mm. And uh, as games, as the budgets increase for games, uh, a lot of the recording goes local. So they go right. to the spot where the accent is from to get the, the appropriate accent. Um, but at that time, there were still a lot of people doing accent work, and I was one of them. Mm. And that helped me a great deal. I'd walk in and often not know what the accent I needed to do was. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'd ask my agent, do I have an accent to do tomorrow? No, it doesn't seem like it. And then you'd walk in and be like, okay, so you're Irish. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. No problem. So, <laughs> so we'd go, we'd go in and we do these, these accents. And so that helped, uh, definitely to, to be able to be hireable in games. Yeah. Uh, if yeah. they know that you were malleable. And we always say like right now we do do a workshop of Mon- in Montreal and in Toronto, um, for motion capture and video game acting. And I always say, if you have an accent on your CV, you should be able to cold read in it for yeah. four hours. Right. Because, yeah, it's, it's, you don't have a lot of prep time. You don't have that period where you can go see a dialect coach. Even though there will be one on set sometimes, not always, but sometimes, you still have to be able to have that in your back pocket. Yeah. And now, we're not talking about this today, but while you're here, do you have any tips for working on an accent or getting an accent that comfortable in your brain that you can just jump into it or I got to say for me it's it's always been something that's been more of a, an ear training mm-hmm. um uh, as as a kid I would read in different accents I would go through and read out loud in a book and change accents every paragraph just for fun yeah um and that was just something that I did for, you know, I just thought that was fun. And then it served me later in life. Um, what I would say though, is that if you've got an accent that, uh, you think you can do is to go hire a voice coach, spend, you know, an hour with them just to make sure that it is there. It Mm. is, it is as good as you think it is. Um, and then you can feel confident to put that on your CV. Right. Yeah. Great. Great tips. Okay, cool. Um, now you do also do a bit of on camera, right? As well. I do. Yeah. How does that differ? Do you like doing that, or is that just something your agent sends you out to every now and again? And you just wow. have to go. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, you know, it's it's really interesting because over the last few years, I've realized that we put so much focus. I don't know why on on camera, on TV, and film auditions and stuff like that. But we work so much for myself anyway. I work so much more in voice yeah. and in video games, um, and I love the video game world. The video game world seems to me anyway a place where people have a lot less ego yeah um where everybody is on the same level and you're just trying to get the best product possible out there mm. um and it's really nice environment to work in and film and tv can sometimes be a, a lot more stressful because there is that hierarchy that's created on a set i don't know if you've worked in film and tv as well no living in new york i saw it a lot but <laughs> never actually did it yeah it's an interesting thing like you 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 see like this this um this feeling of urgency and this feeling of panic sometimes and Mm. that doesn't necessarily have to be there but it is created in that environment and it's not necessarily as as um as serene a place to work yeah not as collaborative no not as collaborative and as well it's funny because in games it's all you know life and death and you know often you know if we're talking about rainbow six afterwards this is this is a shooting game but actually working on the process is a much calmer and much more human um, work environment. Yeah, definitely. oddly enough. Yeah, one, exactly. one of the 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 times that I had a, a very um, tense time on set was for a children's movie. You know, <laughs> ironically enough, and and it was great. Like some of the people were fantastic, but then there was other tensions that were on the set, and you're like, okay, guys, uh, you know, we're doing something here for. <laughs> 
for a young audience, and this feels very, very tense. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's bring it down a bit. Yeah. Do you know that doesn't surprise me? I mean, I yeah. used to work in music, and, and the nicest people were in the hardest metal bands. And oh, the absolutely. Sort of, the lamest kind of folk, happy-go-lucky kind of music, that there was so much tension and ego. Yeah. And so, so I can yeah. totally see that in, in film and TV. Absolutely. Now, the reason I ask about film and TV is that I feel like motion capture and facial capture, it sort of straddles the two worlds a little bit between voiceover and on camera, because of course you're actually, well, we'll get into it, the practicalities, but what are the um, similarities to film and TV, would you say, to the motion capture world, and how does that differ from voiceover? Because I'm sort of easing us into motion capture, as you can probably Right. I, 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 I can tell. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I sussed that out. That's good. Yeah. Um, I would say that... Um, you know, a performance is a performance, yeah, pretty much. Um, so once you get to a spot where you're doing performance capture, um, the difference is for me that you have to um, realize what your technical constraints are. Mm. And I, I often say that for people working in motion capture and performance capture, one of the jobs, apart from doing our performance, is that if there are technical constraints, our job is to make those look natural. Yeah. And make it look seamless. So making the technical look natural is the key thing that, I, that I'll talk about when we, when we do performance capture and motion capture. Yeah. Because that's why actors are hired. So you get, you get a scene and then you get the props, which are going to be made out of two by fours and mm -hmm. foam and plexiglass and whatever else. So you're really creating your environment. So you might have some, some constraints, some mental constraints at that point, and you've got to work with that. You've got to create your environment. You've got to build that imaginary world around you. You don't have the actual items in front of you. When you're on a film set or a TV set, you're shooting in an environment that's got those practical props. When you're shooting in motion capture, you don't. Yeah. You've got something that's representing it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the actual object. You could be, you could have a, a sword in your hand and what it is, it's actually just a, a piece of pipe. Mm. You know, it's everything is just creation of environment and and what the actual practical thing is that you're using. Yeah. And from a voiceover perspective, people who are used to just going into a booth and having to imagine everything, even that is a luxury, having a sort of physical space that you can, you know, inhabit and you actually have something that you can hold rather than having to rely completely on your imagination. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's a difference, too. And when we did, uh, for example, the Rainbow Six recordings, people yeah. would come in and we'd have barks. And it was really important. It seems silly, but it was really important for these people to imagine themselves in the situations. Yeah. You know, so um, there was different levels of projection and... Uh, and uh, like kind of anxiety, if you want to call it that. So you'd yeah. have these these levels of 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 worry, and um, you would say, okay, well now imagine that there is someone close to you who, if they discovered you, you would get into a firefight. So you're really putting the person in the situation um, for them to do this little whisper, and it sounds like a lot of information. But if you're not there mentally, yeah. it doesn't come across vocally. I don't know. We we were both in Rainbow Six Siege, um, mm -hmm. and. We didn't record this together. We did this separately, of course. We yep. recorded our lines on our own. Um, I don't know how your recording went, but I remember that when I did my lines, I had three levels of volume and three levels of intensity. Exactly. Yeah, it was exactly the same thing. And I actually ended up working as a voice director on it, too. Oh, cool. Yeah. So so it was exactly that. We'd... we'd uh, Putting people in those situations and putting myself in that situation and creating that environment was super important yeah. for each line as it went through, because otherwise it comes off as fake. Yeah. 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 And how do you, pro when you're recording that, or if you're directing too, I suppose, um, are, are the characters staying in character between the lines when you're chatting? Is, is it sort of a method approach? Because you can be quite exhausted jumping in and out of character and then it's like, okay, next take. And how are you approaching that? Uh, for myself as an actor, I was staying in character. Yeah. For myself as an actor, it was just like, okay, we're going to this, we're going to that, we're doing this block, perfect. And I would stay in character. Yeah. And I would have um, either a, a physical, um, a physical kind of position that I would put myself in for each one, yeah. or an approach to the mic that would be different, so that I felt that I was in the right position to deliver that line and in the right mental space. Yeah. Um, and I would just keep going with that. And I tried to bring that into the direction side as well to mm. make sure that people were. You know, we're aware that, you know, you can change your physicality a little bit. You can change your mindset of where you need to be for each line um, and stay in the character that way. 
Yeah. I don't think people realize quite how much imagination and, you know, world building goes on internally when you do this kind of work. Mm -hmm. And it mm -hmm. has to be the case. I mean, we see it all the time. I mean, and, and like I said, when we do these uh, workshops, even just seeing people walk. Yeah. You know, if they don't have an intention, you see it right away. You're like, okay, well, <laughs> you're walking without intention and now it looks awkward. It looks unnatural. Right. So, <laughs> and it can be as simple as like, I'm just trying to get across the floor right now, but there's got to be something there. Yeah. Not just record, walk, and suddenly there's a tension, right? Because people want to feel that they need to act. Um, but it's like, just relax. Just be natural. Put yourself in an environment. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or you can tell that they're thinking about what they're going to have for dinner that night rather than fully investing in <laughs> right. the character. Yeah. Or they're to. thinking about, how am I doing? This is great, right? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so motion capture is very technical. So I, I want to talk about exactly what it is, because there are people that are going to be listening to this that are like, oh, what's motion capture? What's facial capture? Mm -hmm. um, so why don't we dis define exactly what it is and how it came to be and why it's used? So okay. um, why don't you do just simply do that in two sentences? <laughs> in two sentences. No, That's no. not a lot, but <laughs> like I'll, I'll do my best here. So motion capture in its base sense is capturing the movement of a person's body. And then mm. afterwards that is digitized and put onto a character and into a game. Yeah. So that's, that's the basics of motion capture. Um, it's evolved over the years to become full performance capture. And this is where there are some differentiations. So there's the motion capture, which is just a movement. Performance capture is when we're actually capturing the entire performance. So we've yeah. got the facial recognition, we've got a microphone that's picking up the audio, and we're doing, we have the motion capture aspect too for the body. Mm. Um, and I think what some people might interest some people is that there's also another um, type of mocap called placeholder mocap, which is a, or temp mocap, where people come in and they do the full performance capture, knowing that the face and the voice will be replaced later in studio, yeah. which happens a lot. Because mm. for whatever reason, if the actor who's playing the character might not have been cast yet or they're in another town or there's a, there's a scheduling conflict or whatever, um, actors are used to come in, do the scenes in place of those actors, and they, their performance, uh, their vocal performance will be replaced. Their body will stay in there, um, but usually their face and their voice will be replaced. Yeah. And what does this technology bring to the production? I Presumably it can capture so much more nuance and it can capture individual performances in a way that just an animator sitting, you know, behind a computer can, can't just necessarily program that in. That's, sure. that's what I mean, it brings, it, right? Humanity. Yeah, exactly. I mean, animation used to be done by keyframe, which was really just building a performance. Um, and, uh, and people who do work in animation, I think have adopted motion capture because it does bring in that extra human aspect to it. It looks more natural. Yeah. Um, and they still need to go in and tweak things and make, make things work a little bit differently sometimes. Um, you know, in an ideal world, you have your performance that gets digitized, integrated into game as is, mm. but often animators can still go in and tweak things if they need to. Yeah. Um, if you're not holding something right or if you need to move a little bit more, they can adjust your trajectory, that type of thing. Yeah, so that's the, the kind of the plus for animation, and it's, it's a much quicker way to animate a character. Yeah, speed as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and as the tech becomes cheaper and more available to, you know, smaller indie companies, it's, it's getting more popular. Is that fair to say? Uh, it's definitely getting more popular. I think um, having a small motion capture studio is not really cost prohibitive. Like you could, yeah. you could set one up for, for pretty cheap um, and get decent quality data. However, the big, the big, big studios can be the size of, you know, half a football field to have a yeah. hundred cameras and, and cost millions of dollars. So, you know, there's, there's the two extremes, but it's definitely something that's being adopted by a lot of companies. Mm. Yeah. Um, so let's let's dive in now and talk about the actual technology involved. So what are the actors wearing? What is the tech? How is the technology capturing this performance? Why don't you explain things as if yeah. we're like five year olds? <laughs> <laughs> well, the basic is you're wearing, uh, I, I call them um, velvet pajamas. <laughs> yes. Because you've got this 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 kind of two-piece suit on that's made out of lycra and um, the soft side of Velcro. Um, and then you get these markers, which are basically semi-soft rubber 
balls with a little base on them that can be Velcroed onto different parts of your body um, and set up so that your articulations and, and where you bend um, is is kind of uh, delimited for the computer environment. Yeah. So they know how you move, they know how you 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 bend your your elbow, your knee, whatever else, and that can be transferred onto the character that you're going to be playing in the game. Yeah. Um, and the basics is that. So basically, you've got all your different movements marked uh, on these rubber balls. If it's a passive system, you've got reflective tape. Um, there's an infrared light that's re- reflected and bounced off your marker, which goes back to the camera. And at that point, the system records that information mm-hmm. and knows where your markers are, knows how you're moving, and can target that data onto the character. Yeah, that's cool. And what's yeah. amazing, actually, is you can, if you're in one of these big studios and they have a screen set up, you can you can see your performance sort of in a sort of rough animated sketch of what it's going to look like. Absolutely. Is, or you can nuts. see yourself as a constellation. Yeah. Because the way it's set up is like you can walk in and then you just see the dots. So you look like a constellation. And then afterwards they can put a skeleton over that. And if they have a live stream, they can actually put the character that you're going to play over that. Yeah. So the characters are all are already there as you're doing the scene, which is really cool. And if they put the environment in the background, you're almost seeing a, a rough idea of what it's going to be like in game. Yeah. Do you notice that that actually helps the performances? Um, I think seeing it initially, for me personally, seeing it initially, just seeing the artwork, because yeah. the artwork for games is incredible. Like yeah. It's really incredible. The teams that put these together are, are I mean, it blows me away each time. Like, this is a, this is a complete work of art. So you yeah. see the environment you're going to be playing in, and right away you're immersed in it. You can feel the heat. You can see if it's humid. You can see all these different aspects you need to play with when you're on the set. Yeah. And, um, and that's fascinating. So as soon as you see that, that helps. Having it on screen can help as well, uh, but you're not looking at the screen when you're acting, so there's a certain limit to the benefits for us. As the production team, you can sit and you can watch how it's going in the environment and that's helpful from the production side. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what qualities or physical characteristics does a talent have to have to do this work, would you say, or are there any constraints? Um, if you're doing performance capture, which is the actual performance of scenes, I would mm. say it's, it's your performance. Yeah. You walk in, if you are the right fit for the character, um, you can be, you'll be hired. Like it's just... It's just like going in for a film and TV audition. At that point, if there's some physical things that are specific to the character that you can't do, the beauty of motion capture is that five people can play the same character and it doesn't matter Mm. because you can blend those performances together. So basically, you will be hired for the performance aspect. And then if they need to, they could double your body in the game. Yeah. the other thing, if you're just doing strict motion capture, which is just kind of um, a utility actor who's going in to do crowd life, which is kind of like the background mocap, or doing the temp performance, um, systemics, which are the movements of the artificial intelligence characters, mm. if you're being hired for that, there are some restrictions, usually as far as height, depending on what's required for their systems. Yeah. Um, and physically, obviously, you need to be pretty flexible, able to to take direction and be able to learn choreography pretty quickly um, make those technical elements look natural which Mm. sounds simple but is not always that simple because you might have to walk from a certain spot and arrive on your left foot walk from a certain spot arrive on your right foot turn 90 degrees in a specific direction and all that has to be done with intention and purpose so you know it's it's that and being able to Learn texts very fast, because depending on the company, you don't necessarily have the text a long time before you start shooting. Yeah. And you could be shooting a lot of lines. The The most I've ever had is about 27 pages in a day um, received wow. that morning. So oh, my goodness. You, yeah. So you go in and you, you practice your scenes and you, you hope that you, you, <laughs> you can learn them well enough to get through the day. I mean, this sounds to me more like shooting a film than voiceover. When you're getting to performance capture, it is. Yeah. And the sets are getting more and more uh, complex where we've got, you know, three cameras sometimes in the volume with us. The volume is the actual playing space. Mm. So the volume is where the data is captured. 
It's the play area mm-hmm. for the actors, and there'll be three cameras in there with us sometimes. And what's interesting is that these cameras are digital cameras. So they are capturing an image, a video image, but that video image is just a reference, really. Yeah. And it can be changed in post. So right. in post-production, they can go in and make the two shot that they took on the day into a close-up. Yeah. Because they can do whatever they want. They can have a crane shot. They can have a flying, you know, when you think of maybe if anybody's seen the intro to, I think it was Assassin's Creed 3, there's an eagle flying through. Yeah. uh, And it comes down to a close-up. That could have been shot very wide on the day. And then afterwards, like, oh, we want this eagle to come in. Yeah. And that's all done in post. Yeah, that's amazing. Which you can't do in film and TV. Yeah. So what about uh, doing takes? Um, and reset time between takes, is that, you know, just the same as film TV or? No, or of course not. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, you know, the answer to your question, I think, as yeah, you're asking, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> there, since they're the props, um, are not the actual props since the set is not the actual set. Um, you can set, you can set it up in five minutes and mm. uh, there is no lighting changes uh, since you don't need to light anything in a specific way to get this information. So um, you you have quick turnaround between takes. It's not like um, a film or TV set where you walk in, you do a blocking, and then you've got a 40-minute 40 40 lighting setup. Uh, so you've got a break, then you come in, you do a few takes, and then you block the next one. Um, in performance capture, you walk in. Uh, you've probably had a rehearsal the day before, mm. and you're ready to shoot right away. So they set up the the environment whatever you're going to work on um and then you shoot they set up the next one you shoot um so the turnaround is very quick between scenes yeah you usually have a very structured day depending on the teams you can be shooting you can be shooting anywhere between three and ten scenes in a day depending on what it is and if you're doing um strictly motion capture there have been days where we've done 140 different shots 150 different shots just you know every Every couple of minutes, you're just doing another shot, another shot, another shot, another shot. You take a break for lunch, you go back, and you work for another four or five hours. Yeah. So I think it's uh, it's interesting for voice talent, because that's who's going to be listening to this, to hear that, because uh, we're not necessarily prepped for that. Um, it's a around. long day. I mean, you, yeah. can, you typically, one of the good things is that there's usually no overtime. You know, it's, it's an oddly... <laughs> For for actors who don't necessarily like the nine to five world, yeah, um, it's an odd environment in the sense that often you will go and you, you, your day can start as early as seven thirty, yeah. um, and you'll usually finish at five thirty. So you'll work from seven thirty to twelve. You'll have a break for lunch from twelve to one, and then from one to five, one to five thirty, you, you shoot again. Mm. So and then and you're done. I think in you know in the ten years that I've been doing this, I think we've had two days of overtime, um, possibly three. You know, it's it not it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Um. So it's a very structured way of working, and it does take a lot of stamina. Yeah. Because some people, you know, they come in for one time and they're like, oh yeah, okay, this is great, and at the end of the day, they are wiped. They are yeah. just like, oh my god. Yeah. How how do you get through this? It's just. <laughs> You know, so it takes a lot of stamina to get through a day. So, yeah, physical fitness is a, is really important and prep time, prepping for yeah. this as well. Yeah, and yeah. flexibility because things have changed a little bit now, but you never know what you're going to be doing when you get there. Mm. So for performance capture, you do because you've had that rehearsal day usually and then you walk in. But if you're one of the actors who's used as a utility actor for motion capture, just for the movements, mm. um, you could walk in one day and they'll say, okay, well, today we're doing crowd life. So you're doing different stations where, you know, you're cooking food or you're fishing or you're doing something like that, which is super low key. Mm. Um, and the next day you come back and they say, okay, well, today we're doing navigation and navigation could be running all day long. Wow. So that they get the different moves that you're doing. So yeah. the different transitions of the characters. So you arrive to a point, you turn left, you arrive to a point, you turn right. You arrive, you know. So those things have to be built into the systems. And uh, as an actor, you've got to be ready to do all of those things. Yeah. What What is the process for discussion when a director is asking you to do something like maybe jumping off something or performing something that you may be a little uncomfortable doing or maybe you don't feel perfectly qualified to do something when you're springing yeah. around on things how's I mean, that that's a that that's work? a big question and and um you know unpacking that is tough yeah. but um 
the co- different companies have different processes for sure. Mm-hmm. I know that when we work with Ubisoft, they usually have their scripts looked over by a stunt coordinator so they can rake out anything that looks like a stunt. Mm-hmm. So it makes that yeah, those those kind of events pretty rare. Yeah. Um, but the, it does happen. And when you get on set, you can say, uh, at least for us with our with the union here, we work with under Actra. Mm-hmm. Um, you can say, you know, I'm really not comfortable doing this. Um, I prefer you guys do that on a stunt day. Right. And the opposite can be true as well. If you're an actor who wants to do stunts, you could say, hey, guys, I saw that you need to do this. I'm willing to do this. Right. So, oh, okay, maybe you can come back on the stunt day and we'll do that. Or we'll try it out today, you know, something like that. Yeah. So those conversations do happen. Generally speaking, I always caution people and say, don't do anything you're not comfortable with. Yeah. But be honest with yourself. And that's the beauty of the technology that, you know, someone else can perform your character's stunts and it's not such a big deal, you know. No, it really isn't. Combine that together later. Yeah. We blend in between characters. So often we'll end a a take in in a pose and then the next person can come in two weeks later for the stunt day, look at the pose that we finished in and start from that pose, do whatever the stunt is and blend back into the the acting portion if you want so you can go back and forth between the two pretty seamlessly yeah that's that's brilliant just so long as you're sort of a similar-ish physicality does is that even matter or uh yeah it does i mean but i mean some of this like i'm about six two and uh one of the stunt guys that i was working with was i think was about five eleven so there's a difference in height but it doesn't really matter because you're retargeting your data onto the same skeleton same digital skeleton yeah so even that can be played with yeah that's cool Okay, so let's imagine that someone's coming to their very first uh, motion capture, performance capture session. What basic knowledge do they need to know to actually perform on that day, other than, you know, learning the script and things like that? Um, I would say learn your character, obviously. Um, Know your script backwards and forwards, because you'll be thrown some stuff that you've probably never done before, as far as walking into an environment where you've got a a helmet on, um, you're going to have lights on that helmet and usually a camera and up to four cameras on that helmet Mm. um, that's going to be pointing at you. So getting over these little technical hurdles is, is important. So you've got to be really wide open and adaptable. You come in and say, my most, the most important thing that I need to do today is get my performance across. Yeah. This is what I need to do. It's about connecting with the other person. Um, You have to forget that you're in the suit. Mm. Um, and work through it. And there's going to be some, uh, a lot of people have uh, headaches when they're wearing the, the helmets. Yes. Um, either because of the light or because of the the uh, the grip that it has on your head. Because mm. it can be like, like a vice grip sometimes. Yes. Um, yeah. So you have to work through that, at least for the scenes, and try and, try and, try and be the, the most natural possible. Um, I think that you also need to to realize that this environment is is different than film and TV. You know, mm. feel free to ask questions. Feel free to say, okay, this is my first time doing performance capture. What things do I need to know? Um, there might be times where you're sitting down in a chair and they'll say, look, you can't sit in that chair with your back on it because this may be a bench, it may be a chair, it may be a tree stump. We don't know. Right. Um, or or your, your markers are being blocked if you go into that position. So there's, there's different things, different questions. Get used to those technical aspects. Ask the questions that you need to ask. Don't feel that a comment on your performance is, is personal um, because yeah. it could be something completely technical. You know, it's like, no, you can't move over there. We need you to go here. Why? Well, because this is closer to the door. And at the end of the scene, the character leaves. Mm. You know, so I feel like I should be over here. Yep, but that doesn't work for the game. So we need you to be over here. You know, so those type of things can happen, which will be different than film and TV. So really trying to integrate that that aspect that needs to move the game forward into your performances is key. Yeah. And are there any technical things that they need to know or terminology that they need to be aware of before they come in or? I think... Yeah. I mean, in an ideal world, yes. You know, you would come yeah. in and there'd be too many to mention here, I think. But it's, it's if you're walking in for your first time and everybody knows you're walking in for your first time, they will say, 
okay, this is, you know, we're going to have you do a T-pose, which is pretty much standing with your arms out uh, before and after each scene so we can recalibrate you into the system. Um, you're going to be doing something called a facial ROM, which is a range of motion, which yeah. feels like, did, have you done a facial yeah, ROM? Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. yeah. So facial ROM, it feels like you're being initiated into a fraternity. <laughs> like yeah. it's just ridiculous. You think that it's a real initiation because they're getting you to do improv with your facial muscles and making you do all these weird sounds and safe sentences that make no sense. Yeah. Um, but really it's just to calibrate your facial movement into the system. And they're going to make you do a little dance called the ROM at the beginning of the day and usually after lunch, which again is to calibrate you into the system. So it's a series of movements that calibrates um, how you move uh, into the actual computer system so that all your data can be tracked, all your movements can be tracked. Mm. So just, you know, go with the flow. Yeah. <laughs> Walk in and be ready to go, okay, this is my first time, <laughs> so what do I need to do? Just have an open mind. <laughs> have an open mind. Yeah. Have an, yeah, and be prepared. You know, yeah. have your, your scene prepared because you can be thrown off by all the technical aspects. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that, you know, if we talk about what we worked on, there was even more technical aspects than usual because it was done in different pieces. Well, let's talk about um, that now then. Yeah. Um, seems like a good time. So why don't you explain what this is and what we're talking about? Yeah, so Jamie and I had the pleasure of working on The Hammer and the Scalpel together, um, which was just released um, at the Rainbow Six Invitational, introducing the new character of Harry, which yeah. is the new Six. Um, and that that clip was done. Um, we worked on that quite a long time. There were quite a few things. I was brought in as a, as a performance director and as a casting consultant on that. Um, so we were there working with a company in Budapest and, a comp and Ubisoft in Montreal and the, the actors from Toronto and from the States um, to build this this beautiful, oh. I think it turned out super well. I know, this it was amazing. beautiful clip. But it was a, it was a big puzzle. Yeah. We had, you know, we had a, an initial voice recording um, done and then as a kind of guide track. And then there was a motion capture portion that was done separate to that, which was then brought back for a final voice recording. And um, as this build is going, you're, you're adjusting your performance with what was already there. So that freedom that you would have in a in a full performance capture um, wasn't necessarily there. So capturing those little elements and working with the the constraints, again, the technical constraints, was uh, kind of a you know, vocal and physical gymnastics. Yeah, I will agree with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was fun, but I mean, yeah. yeah, it was certainly a mental strain from my perspective. Um, you know, being so comfortably happy in booths and things like that, doing this kind of stuff is, is certainly a much more of a challenge to my everyday world. Um, but I'll just paint a picture for everyone. So the performance of uh, a lot of the movement was done in Budapest. And this was what we were using as a reference for our performance later, which was mainly facial capture for the character. Yep. Um, so what we had was... We had our facial our helmets on and the cameras looking at us and we had a video screen where we'd see what they performed in Budapest, whatever that was, weeks or months prior. And so we'd have to match the timing of their movements and match things like eye lines and s stuff like that so that it would they'd be able to um, pull out my face and the other character's face and put it on that performance's body and it yeah. would all match later mm -hmm. um, but we also had you know each character had their own had a, a camera person filming them and a sound person and everything had to sync up i remember every the start of every shot the camera person would look at the time code on a tv that was yeah. uh, stationed there and all the the packs had to be synced up with a cable mm -hmm. and oh it was it was a lot to think about so yeah from your perspective you're managing the whole thing so that was a lot right? it was a lot too and also because we were in you know we had a patch to to budapest at the time yeah and the teams in montreal and and you guys on the floor yeah and trying to make that all seamlessly fit together um, yeah, it was quite the puzzle piece. <laughs> you know, it was it was it was something else. And um, as you 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 mentioned, what ended up happening was that you would have to match also a physical intensity with your voice. Yeah. Because you know, I remember when you pick up your brother from the ground. Yeah. You know, you had to match that 
physicality, even the <clears throat> of yeah. picking him up and getting the intensity out that matched the physical performance that was already captured. Yeah. And keeping that in a fixed time frame so that it fit together. Yeah. Because the cuts were there, which could have been adjusted a little bit, but you know, it was there was a general idea of how the the whole clip was going to go. So that final scene where, well, not final scene, but final scene I shot, which was the fight scene. Yeah. The, the beginning of that fight scene, I'm walking from a, I close a door and I walk across the, the room and I move to a pool table and stuff. And all of that timing from clock, locking the door to walking to the pool table, that had to take like six and a half seconds. And then I had to pick yep. up the thing and that took another yep. two seconds. So that's that's a whole element on top of your performance and, you know, being off book, of course, and the facial, you know, it's capturing your visual performance as well that you have to consider um one of the interesting things for me that i thought was uh something that we should take away is is the eye lines because there's a scene where i jump down from the top deck of a boat onto the regular deck and i go and pick up my brother like you say but the, when we start out i'm above so i'm i'm not looking at the character who's playing my part in the room i'm looking sort of down at the floor and then right. when i jump down then i'm looking at it. so then you're looking e- at them yeah so even eye lines it's that detailed well eye lines and also distance are super important because yeah. um, you can be doing a scene where in the scene your character is next to you at mm. first then they walk off and they've climbed up a wall let's say and they're at the top of a of a of a wall so yeah. suddenly you have to change your eye line as you're speaking to them yeah. try and time that correctly and there's a distance between you at that point so you have to be changing projection yeah and that person can actually be right in front of you as you're doing that so they could be two feet away from you on the same level but you have to play that they're 25 feet away from you yeah. and 20 feet up and they're looking down at your feet and you're looking up at some some spot that you've decided is where that person is but you're actually right in front of each other so it does get pretty funny at times yeah i mean it was certainly a challenge i mean like i say it was enjoyable i mean i (laughs) i had such crazy headaches throughout that whole thing but i (laughs) i got a big head so that's probably why (laughs) (laughs) well no 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 no. i think that um, i think that it can be you know quite difficult for people who are used to just being in a sound booth yeah you know if you're used to standing there or sitting there and and just doing the voice and then being brought in and knowing that you've got your face captured yeah and that you've got your eye lines captured and that you've got to move a little bit mm. um i think all that really you know can throw someone who's used to doing just vo quite yeah. a bit um so yeah i don't know how your experience was with that uh, it was intense mentally. It was draining, um, but it was very rewarding. I have to say, I mean, it was really fun getting out the booth and interacting with other actors. And you know, with my um, with Bruce who plays Paulie, it was it was mm-hmm. so much fun. You know, mm-hmm. I always love it when we can do. You know, even if we're not doing performance, but if we're doing a group, you know, some kind of like there's a few people in a booth and we're all you know reading our lines together. Sure, that's doing all, or something. Yeah, exactly. That's always so rewarding you know or like a sort of animation things um than just trying to imagine everyone else's performance and it does stimulate your performance it does change the way you perform when you're working with someone else so i think i think it does i think it really does elicit a better performance um in the situation that you guys were in however you were still trying to match that timing yeah and trying to match those images so so that's another level for you guys to try and play at the same time yeah so uh when I saw the clip for the first time, I was like, wow, this yeah. really, really, really came together. Uh, the team from Budapest and Montreal did an incredible job oh, as far as goodness. piecing it together and the editing and, you know, all the voices are fantastic. So, yeah, very, very happy. So if the, people want to check that out, it's called The Hammer and the Scalpel, and you just search that on YouTube and it's it's there and it's easy to find. But, yeah, oh, my God, that was that was. That was it blew my mind when I first watched it. I was like, I mm-hmm. can, I, the first scene when they're walking in, I was like, this is just reality. It looks mm-hmm. real. It's sure. it's nuts. Yeah, um, that's and that's the benefit of motion capture, right? Yeah, you know, all those little subtleties with the body can be there. All those little, you know, those little movements, those those head shakes. That's yeah. all captured. Uh, those eye lines, those scoffs, everything is captured. You know, all the little subtle things that no one probably would otherwise think to animate yep. are just built into that performance from the sort of literally from a skeleton um, upwards okay so what advice would you give to people looking to get into this kind of work what training should they undertake and where should they go to sort of break in 
So I would say performance capture, um, generally speaking, it's the same type of auditions as film and TV. So you, mm-hmm. you're, if you have an agent, um, your agent will get a breakdown. And uh, if you fit the role, you will do a, an audition and you will go in. The difference here as far as auditioning for film and TV is that um, if I'm in the casting room, I'm going to tell you that you can use the space. So right. you're not just standing on a mark delivering your lines. You're actually going to have a wider shot that'll probably go all the way to your knees. Um, and you can actually move around, uh, interact with, you know, if there's objects in the room, you can interact with them. Mm. Um, often I'll even um, say, you know, the reader's in the scene with you. Yeah. So instead of the reader being on the just on the side of camera where you're delivering your lines, you can actually interact with the reader. Um, so it makes for a fuller performance. Yeah. Because uh, we want to see how the character, we don't want to see um, a character move because you feel that they need to move because it's motion capture. We want to see a char- how a character really lives. Yeah. We want to see how they interact with people, how they speak with people, how the, you know, if they have any idiosyncrasies as far as their, their movements or anything like that, um, to bring that into the performance. What I do see, this is a, a comment and it is a suggestion, don't feel like you need to move because it's motion capture. Right. Yeah, because a lot of people come in and there's extraneous movements. There's movements that don't need to be there because they feel, ah, this is a video game, so it's motion capture. So yeah. I need to gesticulate with my hands. I need to to do this and and move this way, and and it, it ends up looking fake. Yeah. And what we want is we want a natural performance. However, we also want to see how this character would interact with people naturally, how they would move naturally. Because these video games are much more cinematic now aren't they they're not they're not Absolutely. animations they're video games and they're cinematic video games so these performances are more akin to a close up performance in a movie than some you know overly dramatic uh, yes and no i mean i give this as an example sometimes is that um if you if you've got a, a scene where you're supposed to be reading a letter um that, this is an audition that i had years ago reading a letter in front of a fireplace mm. right um as a character um if it was a close-up for film, I may have stayed static and read the letter and tried to have the performance very contained in a close-up because I feel like I'm being shot really tight. Yeah. Knowing that it's a video game audition, as I'm reading, I might walk around a little bit, might pace a little bit, you know, right. um, might make reference to the fireplace at some point, look off into it, you know. So all the movements are still natural and are still informed from the scene. Mm. Um but I would move more than if it was the film and TV audition. Right. Um, not for not to create anything that isn't natural. Like I say, it's super important to have that as a base. Like I am not creating movement for the sake of creating movement. Yeah. What I'm doing is, since I've got a wider space to play with, I'm going to show how this character might move in this situation um, in a natural way. And with your director hat on, what are you considering when you're directing a performance are you thinking about i mean presumably you are thinking about it from a gameplay standpoint as well as a cinematic standpoint when yeah you're absolutely people. yeah yeah when i'm directing people and even as an actor it's it's the same thing um for me i'm i'm, I'm sitting at home as the player yeah you know i'm watching it as the player and thinking okay what is the most interesting thing the most interesting way that we can make this happen yeah. Um, because there's a lot of different choices and it, you know, it always comes down to personal preference. Mm. Uh, but at the same time you can say, okay, well, if we did it this way, um, the, the player who's at home can see the reveal of the weapon. Um, but if you're sideways, we don't really see it, you know, just like little right. tweaks that can just change the movement. We had a scene that we were doing where there was, it was shadow. Um, and it, by the, actor opening up just a little bit we saw the shadow so much more and we could it was much more interesting the scene just developed and and went uh, went into a more real um a real imagery because you could see the side profile right, if he yeah. was too much turned into the light uh, we weren't capturing the proper shadow and it didn't tell the story of what was happening Oh, that's um, so there's those little tweaks that you can do as a director to try and make the scene more appealing to to the audience who is the player at home. So that's how I think about it. Yeah. And depending on whether this is like a cut scene, which is more like a movie or like actual gameplay footage, the one is more like a movie in terms of like the cameras are going to be sort of locked in position versus having to think about your performance from any angle because in a game, you know, you may be able to move around 360 degrees to to see what's going on. 
Yeah, generally speaking, you will have a game camera. So yeah. there will be cameras there that you're sort of playing to, but at the same time, like I said, everything can be changed in post. So yeah. you're getting a general idea of how it's going to be shot, mm -hmm. um, but things can be tweaked. What's interesting, for I think, for camera guys who work on the sets is that, oh, I see the boom. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Oh, I see the other camera guy. Yep, doesn't matter. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we don't. No, we don't see the captured. other camera guy. They're yeah. not being captured. Yeah. You know, you can have um, a weapon uh, without having it on you. So in the sense that you can be walking across the set and you have to pull out your gun. And just as you're about to pull out your gun, there's a, uh, a production assistant who puts the gun at the spot where you need to grab it. Yeah. Because they don't have the suit on and they're not being captured. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a great world for that. Yeah. Do you think you need to play games to do this kind of work or it's not important? I think it's super important. Um, yeah. When I started off, I did not play games. Uh, had gone for a couple of auditions at first, had gotten the roles, which was great. And then I went in for like another two, three auditions, wasn't getting them, spoke to a director. And um, I was like, you know, uh, is there anything that I'm doing? He's like, well, what games do you play? I'm like, well, I don't really. He's like, well, start there. You know, yeah. see what the world is, because the world is so dense now. I mean, the, the games have so much texture to them. Um, if you watch games like The Last of Us, mm -hmm. uh, you can see how the the acting is done. You can see how natural it is. Um, these are these are great, great games, great performances. Um, and so I would suggest if you don't want to play a game necessarily, if you want to work in cinema, but you want to work in cinematics to go onto YouTube um, most games have all their cinematics pieced together. You type in the name of the, the game and with movie at the end mm. or cutscenes, and it will play you all the cutscenes. Yeah. Back to back. The actual narrative structure of the game is there, mm. and you can see how the style of acting um, is in that game, and that can inform your performances for when you go into audition. Yeah. And you mentioned The Last of Us there, but are there any other games that you would recommend? Oh, uh, I mean, I've I've always liked the, um, uh, you know, Drake's Fortune, those types of games. Mm. You've got uh, you've got The Last of Us. Um, it depends on the companies too, so you can see how how Ubisoft shoots their games. You can watch some of the Assassin's Creed cutscenes um, compared to a Rockstar game, uh, yeah. and see you know different rawness as far as performance and and. Um, I think an important aspect too, when you are getting a scene, if you are getting that breakdown from your agent, is to figure out, you know, who your character is. Are they a good guy? Or are they a bad guy? What's the time period? Mm. Is there an accent? Um, and think to yourself, how can I make this most interesting for the player at home? Yeah. How can I make this character interesting for that person who's watching? Mm. To go, oh, cool, wow. You know, that's really neat um, because it's a release, right? These games are are for people to be entertained. Yeah. And finally, the, it sounds like you can do a huge amount of self-preparation for this, but are there places you can go to get specific training in this, in motion capture, facial capture? Um, there are a couple of places. I know that, I mean, we do a workshop in Toronto. Uh, with uh, mocap U in Montreal, we do one um, with the actor members who are in Montreal. Uh, so we've set that up just because we do have a lot of video game work in Montreal yeah. and in Toronto as well. And um, so those are the ones that I'm aware of because I'm in, I'm in Canada. I'm in Montreal. Yeah. Um, but I do know that there's other companies that do have motion capture training. I'm not sure if it's specifically performance capture, but there there are some motion capture training sessions. Yeah. And we talked about VO before too, and one of the things that is good to have is the ability to sustain loud projections for a long time. Yeah. Um, because as you know, with your recordings for, <laughs> for Rainbow, um, you will have a lot of combat barks and onos, which are onomatopoeias, those, oh, ah, those sounds that you need to do. And yeah. sometimes you can be recording a four-hour session of those, yeah. uh, which can be very taxing on the voice. And if you're not prepared vocally, you can blow your voice. I've been in sessions where people have blown their voice in the first 15 minutes, and you've got to stop the session. Yeah. Oh, um, so, you know, at that point, um, it it ends up affecting your future hireability, of course, yeah. because you say, okay, well, this person can't sustain that. So um, I would say get to... Vocal training is is key for everything. 
yeah. for absolutely everything. So if you can get a vocal coach who can help you with that, um, who can who can have you um, find a way that you can sustain those high-level projections in a realistic way, because again, we don't want to be screeching, we don't want to be going over the top, we want to imagine that we're in a that kind of combat environment or whatever the environment is, uh, but that you can sustain that for an extended period of time. We're now yeah. trying to get those sessions down to uh, sometimes an hour or two because we know how taxing it can be. Yeah. Um, and particularly for people who just do VO, uh, it's some people don't want to do those sessions. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was a big thing with the strike recently over here. Yeah. Yeah. And you're saving those for the end often? Uh, you will save them for the end if it's not just a Barks and Ono session. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, you've got some sessions that can just be Barks and Onos. Yeah. Um, so you're coming in and you will be screaming for those two to four hours. Yeah. Um, and then afterwards you hope that you don't have to go do a theater gig or a narration or something like that. Or just speak just, to anyone. <laughs> or speak to anyone because you want to go home and just be drinking tea with honey. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Well, did you have any final thoughts on that or anything you want to impart to anyone before we end? We've covered a huge amount. Um, I would just say that this is a, you know, video games are a fantastic world. Yeah. Um, personally, I feel super lucky to be working in this environment and, uh, I would suggest any actors who are interested to, to give it a go. Yeah. Fantastic. And what are your classes you do? You say you do them in Toronto? Uh, yes. I, I teach every once in a while in Toronto at, uh, at a place called Mocap U and I teach in Montreal for the, but it's only for Montreal ACTRA members. Okay. Um, so ACTRA is our union here in Canada. Um, so we teach for them. We've got one this weekend, actually. So we're teaching that. And we cover voice. We put you in the booth. And then afterwards, that's for three weekends. And then there's a weekend in the actual motion capture environment with a rehearsal day and a shoot day as if it's a professional shoot. All right. Well, thanks, Carlo. That was, that was a really great chat. Hey, my pleasure, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Thank you to this week's guests. Thanks also to JMC Demos and IPDTL who sponsor the show. Thanks to Backstage Magazine and a special shout out to Patreon super member Angus McLeod. We'll see you again next time.